0: You are locked into the Philadelphia Eagles. What's going on, everybody? Louie DiBiase joining you on this Tuesday edition of Lockdown Eagles alongside my co-host, Gino Camilleri. Day two of victory week as we continue to take a look back at the Eagles. Week one, 32-27 win over the Washington Redskins. And uh, Gino, welcome into the show, sir. Some not-so-good news for the Eagles' defensive front as we learned today that defensive tackle Malik Jackson is out for the season. After just one game, which is really devastating because he was really going to be a key part of this defensive line, the defensive game plan in general. It's why I was so confident in just not having four defensive ends anymore because he was going to be a three down guy to rush the passer. So this really does stink.
1: Absolutely. And I tried to turn into a doctor the other day when I tried to diagnose his uh, (laughs) injury, much like I did with uh, Carson Wentz a couple years back, and I was wrong once again. But it's the NFL, and they've been lucky so far with injuries, I feel, this offseason. Man. That that's a big one. But the great news is, Lou, they have Tim Jernigan there, and they have Hassan Ridgway there, and they have Fletcher Cox, who is still top two defensive tackle. And you can move Brandon Graham inside. You can move Vinny Curry inside. It absolutely does stink, don't get me wrong. But in the past, I would have been more upset than I am today just because of the depth that this team has. And we, we talked them up so much for creating this roster that has so much depth at key positions like the interior of the defensive line and thank goodness teams weren't smart enough to jump on Tim Jernigan in the offseason and Howie Roseman was able yeah. to bring him back because he now jumps back into a pretty important role being the number two defensive tackle there next to Fletcher Cox. And looking at the film today, Lou we both went through it, but Tim Jernigan looked rejuvenated to me. He he was just a lot quicker than he looked on tape as opposed to 2018 and really looked like his Super Bowl self from 2017 in that first game.
0: Yeah, he looks healthy. He looks ready to go. I mean, I'm still confident in this defensive line and what they can do. Uh, it is still a huge loss. But yeah, you will see more of the strategy from 2017 and 2018 come into play here with the return of the defensive end moving inside. Whereas this year, they're more so going towards three defensive tackles rotating through there and keeping mm-hmm. Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett and Vinnie Curry on the edge. So you, like you said, you will see Graham in there more. You will see Vinnie Curry in there a lot more as well we're gonna get into Vinny Curry we'll get into some of the stock ups and stock downs from week one bringing back our flagship show from the 2018 season but yeah this is a, a big loss a disappointing one I mean you bring this guy in seemed like a bargain deal because he had a down year in Jacksonville and you know after just one game it is really disappointing I would say if they're gonna go outside people are calling for Chris Long to come back for Chris Long, it still doesn't make sense for him because it's not like last year where not only they didn't have Derek Barnett or Vinnie Curry or Tim Jernigan, remember. So... Mm-hmm. Anytime Brandon Graham or Michael Bennett moved inside, which was a lot of the time, Chris Long was coming in. So he had a huge role in 2018. He would have more of the 2017 role. And he's not really, I don't think, happy with that. He's not going to come out of retirement for that. So I don't expect Chris Long to be an option. You can activate Bruce Hector from the practice squad. I tweeted out a couple options in free agency right now. You know, Muhammad Wilkerson's out there. That's the biggest name. But like you said before the show... Not someone more so a 3-4 defensive end that you said moves pretty slow, so probably not an option coming off an injury from Green Bay last year. Darius Phelan had nine and a half sacks the last three years with Arizona, but the guy was arrested in August for serious charges. He he held apparently two women at gunpoint, so I don't think that's an option. Maybe a guy like Willie Henry, a 25-year-old at the Ravens. He was a surprise cut from Baltimore in August. He was a starter for a good amount of time in that defense he had four and a half sacks the last two years three and a half in 2017 so maybe that's an option Benny Logan's a free agent but I think right now Gino it's probably going to be an in-house move when it comes to how they replace Malik Jackson
1: yeah I would say that right now if Trayvon Hester was still out there this would be a prime spot to go out and get him but unfortunately you let him go and now he's in Washington but I think there are some familiar guys that they have the ability to bring in. I think Bruce Hector would be the clear-cut favorite right away. I, I like what I've seen from him in preseason and last year. He had some meaningful snaps, and he he's not too bad for being, what, the fifth defensive tackle in your organization. Yeah. He's going to be a two- or three-swing tackle on most other teams. Um, I, I would say a guy like T.Y. McGill, who I mentioned to you before the show, somebody who's been in Philadelphia before, Recently let go by the Chargers could be a potential option. Uh, Mike K from NJ.com actually put out an interesting name that kind of caught my eye. Akeem Spence for the uh, he was a Dolphin last year. He That's was right, sixteen yeah. game starter for them last year. He was pretty good in his time there. I mean, it is a Miami Dolphins defense, but he is a serviceable guy. Somebody that you could bring in. Look, we're not talking about being a number two defensive tackle. You don't have to replace Malik Jackson. You already have his replacement. Yeah, you have your starter team. from the
0: last two years. Exactly. So.
1: You're trying to replace that depth, and we're talking about about a guy who's going to get 10 to 15 snaps in this defensive tackle rotation. And Akeem Spence for one season. I mean, sign me up. T. Y. McGill. He was here for a little bit. He looked very raw and unfinished in his time in Philadelphia, and they moved on. But I would say Bruce Hector would probably get my vote of confidence being the guy that I would want to be the number four. He's clearly familiar with what they do rotating their defensive tackles. He's been in the scheme. It just makes a lot of sense and what this team has done organizationally for replacing talent on their roster.
0: Yeah, and don't count out Howie Roseman adding – to this position in any avenue of yeah there could addition. be like
1: yeah right i'm right there with you that there's yeah. a guy on some uh, depth chart that just buried that right we're just missing over we just haven't gotten them but i'm sure somebody in the player personnel department is hot on that case right now for Howie trying to find somebody to come in and replace that depth that they lost
0: so we'll keep an eye on that but yeah big news malik jackson is out for the season your lead story brought to you by vivid seats Make memories that last a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live events. Enter the promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Coming up on today's show, me and Gino, we're going to get back into stock up, stock down. As we did last year, we each got a couple of players that we really liked their performance against the Redskins on Sunday. And a couple players, and it can also be coaches as well. You heard us the past couple days criticize and also compliment Doug Peterson. And, you know, Jim Schwartz, another coach here at Defensive Court that we got into yesterday so stock up stock down coming up next right here on the lockdown eagles podcast this tuesday edition of the show and guys we're also brought to you by my bookie it's betting season in the nfl and look if you found a hundred dollars in the street would you pick it up or keep walking of course you'd take the money so why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them that's why i go to my bookie it's fast it's easy and they pay when you win let's face it where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't tell you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? That's right. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all of your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use our special promo code On. That's right. You guessed it. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to activate the offer that's promo code locked on visit mybookie.ag today you play you win you get paid we'll be right back louis de and gino camilleri All right, Eagles fans across the globe, we are back on this Tuesday edition of Locked on Eagles. Gino, it's time now for Stock Up, Stock Down, and we start here with Stock Up. So we're going to give two players each, can be on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, can also be coaches as well. We're going to start here with some positives. Stock Up, who is a player for you? The all 22 opened up uh, this morning. I got up very early to watch some film of different players and kind of take a second look at the Eagles' 32-27 win over the
1: Redskins. Who's someone that really popped on the field for you? One guy that really caught my eye right off the bat was Derek Burnett. Agreed. He, what didn't he do in that game? I mean, just looking at his stat line, it doesn't even do what he did justice. Do what he did on tape, it doesn't even do him justice. I mean he finished with what four tackles, three solo and three QB hits. There were countless plays where he was just on the other side of the field and he would just track down the defender nearly 25 30 yards. I have notes all over the place here. Um one play there was a he's on the other side of the field lined up is about a five tech and it's a screen pass to Chris Thompson uh, on the other side of the field, and he chases him down about 35 yards. He doesn't record the tackle, so it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but he was right in on the play, and the guy just does not stop moving his feet. We talked about it in draft season a lot, Lou, that one of the prerequisites for a defensive end for the Philadelphia Eagles is to have that high motor, and Barnett, it just... He gets an A++++ plus in that category. The guy never stops moving his feet. If you watch the defensive tape, every time the whistle's blown, he's in the frame. He he just will be around the ball no matter where it is on the field. Whether it's right in the middle of the field defending a run, which he was very great in in this game, or if it's 25 yards downfield trying to make the tackle on a screen, he just popped off the tape for me. His sack, There was no sack numbers there. His bend is still what he is, but man, his... His motor and his ability to just be involved on on tackles every single play and just wreak havoc was something that I'd love to see. He made Donald Penn look like an absolute joker a lot of the time during this game.
0: Yeah, especially in that second half in the fourth quarter, I just noticed how well Derek Barnett was doing against Penn. And some numbers to back up your film study, it, it is true. I mean, he had the most pressures in the first slate of games. Of all the 1 o'clock games on Sunday, he had the most quarterback pressures with eight and he also had three quarterback hits on Case Keenum. So Derek Barnett, stock up for sure. And for me, Gino, another defensive end that you were tweeting about today when you were watching the All-22 was Vinnie Curry. The stats, again, I don't like. It really bothers me when people box score scout, and especially for certain positions. Vinny Curry's mm-hmm. stat line was just one tackle, but he looked explosive coming off the defensive line. You know, Last year, had a really down year in Tampa Bay, was injured a lot of the time. He looks to be back in 2017 form. He was great against the run and they're going to need him even more now we talked about Malik Jackson being out for the year especially if the move is just getting in a guy like Bruce Hector they're going to continue to emphasize defensive ends moving inside him or Graham are going to be at that position a lot so Vinny Curry is going to play an even bigger role for the coming weeks of the 2019 season and I'm encouraged by that I believe in that that he can do it because he he really did look explosive he looked ready against Washington he 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 was impressive. The stats won't tell it, but the film will.
1: Yeah, I, like you said, Lou, I tweeted about that, and everybody could go check it out on Twitter, at Geno underscore L-O-E-I. I uh, took a, a capture of two plays that were back-to-back. The first one, he didn't record the tackle, but he was lined up at the five-tech position, much like I described Derek Burnett, which is off the left shoulder of mm-hmm. the left tackle. So he's there and he has to track all the way to the opposite side of the field through all the traffic, through all the junk, and gets in and almost makes the tackle on the running back. And it was just one of those plays, like Derek Barnett, that the guy was just moving from the start of the whistle off of his first step to the very end of the play. These guys just know how to continue to move their feet until the end of the snap, and that's something that this Philadelphia organization ingrains in their defensive linemen. And it is a great feature to have because... Guys like Derek Barnett and Vinnie Curry, who don't flash with their pass rush abilities, they're going to win a lot of these reps because of their motor. And Vinnie Curry did it on that play. And then the very next play, he just absolutely lights up a tight end and a left guard, which they didn't have a left tackle lined up for Vinnie Curry to defend him, which is kind of weird to me. It was, it was a very weird formation how they lined up and he was almost in a three tech position because there was no left tackle there. And he just absolutely, his first step off the line was great. The tight end chips him. He gets through the tight end, keeps his balance, gets off the left guard and just makes the tackle within three seconds. And it was just a great play. It's something that you want to see from Vinnie Curry. And like you said, Lou, that I'm not really too worried with Malik Jackson going out because you have the ability and the running game to defend with a guy like Vinny Curry, and he looked great yesterday, and so Derek Barnett. And if those two guys are on the field in the run game, I'm not too worried about things leaking outside the edge, and both of them can make plays in the middle of the field as well.
0: Who's another guy for you that was really trending upwards against Washington?
1: Yeah, so I would go with the obvious answer in Carson Wentz, but I'm not going to say that. I mean, I tweeted it yesterday that he had two of the top ten most improbable throws of the week according to NFL. I love Next that Gen stat, stats. by the way. That's
0: a that's a stat for me that like that stat. If you are high in that category, like those are the quarterbacks that you pay the big time money that can make those kind of plays, and you see Wentz in that all the time.
1: That's one of those things that you, when they use the term, you are throwing open receivers. That's exactly, exactly what you You're, do. It's
0: because of you more so than the scheme or the receivers. 100%. It's because of Carson Wentz. And like, that's why I love that next-gen stat.
1: Yeah, so you could easily go with Carson Wentz after the performance that he's had. But somebody that kind of we, we talked about as almost a weak link of his unit being Isaac Sayamalu, having a very strong really performance in this game. Uh, There was the one QB sneak where he was lined up against Duran Payne before he got injured and he just absolutely lights him up. And Sayamalu, for being the guy that has really been dogged on by this offensive line, just because he is like, uh, I think Michael Kist of uh, Bleeding Green Nation has my favorite term for it, a, a replacement level starter. He's a guy that you can always look to improve at his position. After last game, Lou, I am perfectly fine with the contract that he signed and his ability to improve every single game and every single season, which he has done. We talked about him almost being a bust his first couple seasons because he really couldn't find a role, and then he settles into his own at this left guard position, really comes out on top, and he got he made that his own and beat out a veteran, Stefan Wisniewski, and really had a very strong performance yesterday. The, the, unit, the offensive line unit only allowed four hits on Carson Wentz, that's a winning day at the office. There wasn't too many guys being exposed and too many breakdowns. And for Isaac Sayamau to step up and play to the caliber of Jason Peters, a Hall of Famer to his left, and Jason Kelsey, an All-Pro to his right, hats off to him. I thought he had a very underrated and strong game this week and kept Carson clean for the most part.
0: Yeah, when it comes to the run game, you know, zone blocking, he was paving the way on the left oh, side yeah, for dude. We didn't even I, I mean, didn't even
1: talk about him in the running game. There he was, was so impressive. At the second level too, he's like a guy that you think like he doesn't have he's not the most athletic guy who should, won't be out making blocks like Jason Kelsey, but like you said Lou, there were a couple times when he was paving the way for Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard and it was like, "Man, this is an Isaac Samuel. I want to continue to see throughout the year."
0: I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to stick with the offensive line, but I can't really choose between the two. Jason Peters and Brandon Brooks were both just incredible on Sunday, and both of them made Pro Football Focuses. Um, all-star team of the week, both on the offensive line. Jason Peters, 37 years old, 100% healthy, though. I mean, last year battled injuries throughout the entire year. Yes, he started in 16 games, but he was never fully healthy. He was Mm -hmm. recovering from a torn Achilles, much like Brandon Brooks is now. Then suffered a bicep injury against the Giants, I believe, on Thursday Night Football that – was hampering him all season long. Now he's back, and he looks like the same guy from 2009, from 2011, from 2015. I mean, this dude is just ageless. He did not allow a single pressure on Carson Wentz on Sunday. He was dominant on the two Wentz to Deshaun Jackson touchdowns. I was watching the offensive line on those plays to see, you know, how it broke down, giving Wentz time, and Peters instantly popped on the screen and then Brandon Brooks too I mean this guy we talk about it all the time because it's so impressive but a 340 pound interior offensive lineman eight months ago Terry's Achilles he's back and in doing so had PFF's highest graded guard performance of the week it was hard to choose because both look to be in their elite normal form
1: it it, it just the superhuman label it's just something that you can't take away from them and Man, you you can't mention those guys without mentioning Lane Johnson. If you saw that one play, Ryan uh, do on, Kerrigan down on the ground, where he just body slammed yeah. Ryan Kerrigan, a guy who has always been a, a thorn in the side of Lane Johnson, it's great to see these guys just clicking on all cylinders. I really think we talked about it yesterday, and we talked about it after the game that once both of these units, the uh, the defensive line and the offensive line, decided to assert their dominance and take over. That's when the game swung in their favor. And they just they said, we are the best offensive line in football and just took that game over, regardless of the Washington front. That was very good. And for the most part, started wreaking havoc a little bit in the beginning. But they started to settle down. And when they settled in, it just was a thing of beauty. And it's something that you want to see them get back to form in 2019 and really allow Carson to stay clean. If if Carson averages getting hit four times a week, I'm totally okay with that. Thank God the Miami Dolphins decided to take Deion Jordan six years ago, huh? Oh, man. I I thank my lucky stars every day for that.
0: (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Stock up, stock down edition on this Tuesday podcast. We'll be right back, and we'll get into now some of the players that struggled against Washington. Also, we can get into the coaches as well. Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are wrapping up this Tuesday edition of Locked on Eagles. Thank you so much for joining us. If you missed any other shows throughout the week's, four to five a week right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Check them out on any podcast provider. Just tell Siri or Alexa to play Lockdown Eagles, or you can check it out as well on the desktop at LockdownEagles.com and on Twitter at LockdownBirds, at DiBiase, L-O-E, and at Gino underscore L-O-E. I did a film breakdown this morning, Gino, of Sidney Jones with the All-22. I'm not putting him here in stock down. I also couldn't put him in stock up. It was a pretty steady performance in the second half is when he really played the most. He really did get roasted by Terry McLaurin on back to back plays, but then he came back with a great third down stop, diving across Vernon Davis's body to bat the ball down on third down. Made another key tackle on a third down against Vernon Davis. So you got to remember, too, this guy's only played eight games in his career. Sidney Jones, I thought it was an up and down start, but for the most part, I was pretty encouraged.
1: Yeah, I think we both came away with the same uh, sentiment after that game, that he had a, a Sidney Jones-like game, and he could have improved on it, and that's right where he is in his career, he's played eight games, like you said, he's going to continue to get better, but I don't want to see him wait till the third quarter to get on the field, I just didn't understand that, especially the way that the corners were playing throughout the game, and one mm-hmm. of my stock downs is, it definitely echoes that sentiment to get Sidney Jones on the field, and... I'm going to just take the the luxury and start it off at Ronald Darby, man. Like, I sang your you. praises week one last year, man, but it just continues to kill me. Like, every time you think he can just step up and make a play, like when he steps up in front of that ball and just can't catch it, like, it change the momentum of the game. Like, you were brought in, paid like a CB1, paid to be a playmaking corner. When your team needs you the most, when you need momentum to swing your way, you step in front of that ball and just let it hit your chest, and like you blow a bunch of coverages and you blow a bunch of tackles. It just—he's just continued to trend down for me, Lou. And I, I want to see Sidney Jones get on the field because I don't want to see another deal for Ronald Darby. So let somebody else take him after this year. I mean, he's here for—he is what he is right now in Philadelphia. Like he's going to be a serviceable player, but he just continues to let me down to say, go and prove to me that you're the CB one. It just. In my eyes, he just cannot do it. And he every time he has the chance, he just doesn't get it done. Yeah, why
0: I'm more and why I've been more willing to give these younger corners the benefit of the doubt is exactly that, that they're younger and they don't have as much experience. I mean, this is year what five now for Ronald Darby because he was drafted yep. and he started he made off a in twenty fourteen. Yeah, and he had a good start to his career, and that's why we've been giving him the benefit of the doubt now for four years now. And for me, mm-hmm. I just haven't seen it since that first year in Buffalo, and I know he has the speed and the athleticism, but he is such a liability as a tackler on the edge. He nearly caused two touchdowns yesterday, and one, I do blame him. It was Sendejo as well, but I mean, when you get hurdled by a 100-year-old tight end in Vernon Davis, I mean, that's just <laughs> embarrassing, and Paul Richardson jumped over him and should have scored that touchdown if you get both feet in bounds, so... Yeah, that just goes to show too much. the
1: shit out of that. Yeah, and
0: also while he read the play perfectly, he drops a pick right in his chest. It's just the frustrations with Darby, and it's not even too for me that just Darby the player. It's kind of like Sproles. I don't like the way this defense envisions him. Much like I feel like they envision Sproles as almost RB one. The same thing with Darby here as CB one. He is not that kind of caliber corner. And uh I agree with you. He did not have a very encouraging week 1 against Washington and a lot of that Gino comes into my next guy here stocked down is Jim Schwartz. I'm very frustrated with the way he's handled the secondary much like Doug Peterson has handled the running backs throughout the past couple years. And Schwartz met with the media today. He said some interesting things about corners and just some other things that I just didn't agree with. He was talking about how people love the blitz until the deep balls oh, fly. God pinpointing to the Terry McLaurin plays on Razul Douglas that went for a touchdown the one on Sidney Jones that should have went for a touchdown if Case Keenum didn't overthrow him my problem with that is you had a bad plan when it came to the blitz you're having both safeties McLeod and Jenkins coming off the edge to blitz the quarterback and you're having your corners still line up deep and for me it's like you got to press them to give the blitz that extra couple seconds and also here's another idea when you're blitzing with both safeties don't have Razul Douglas alone with a 4-3 wide receiver. And also, don't have him line up two yards off the line of scrimmage, but not let him press. Like, if you're going to have Razul Douglas that close to McLaurin, you got to let him grapple, or else it's, it's just so useless. It was such a bad plan heading in. So, for me, he shouldn't blame the Blitz. It should be more so the way he game planned the way he drew up the blitz it was just not the right way to do it so I had a problem with that with Schwartz and he also said that it'd be nice to have the corner settle in when it comes to starters know who the three are but at the same time he expects Jones and Douglas to keep rotating and I could see that kind of see who wins this job still it was hard to evaluate both of them in the preseason and they had good training camps I thought Jones looked better week one but you know, ideally, I think it's it would be nice to have this kind of figured out. And uh, I, I would say Jim Schwartz's stock is down, and really more so. It, it, a lot of it has to do with the secondary.
1: Yeah, it's not really something you want to hear when you're going into a week and you're playing the Atlanta Falcons, who have three wide receivers who are pretty freaking good by all accounts, in Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Muhammad Sanu. But that's for another day. But I'm right there with you uh, that Jim Schwartz just continues to be A very, very stubborn play caller and just very stuck in his ways. And even when he calls those stick calls when the game is over and they still convert, it's not very promising. And when you see guys just inviting them on first and 10 to gain six yards because they're playing 12 yards off, that's not promising. Let these guys go out there and, like you said, get their hands on the play. Rasul Douglas isn't running with Terry McCorn. If you think that, I, I want whatever you are on, Mr. Schwartz, because it's just not going to happen. Rasul Douglas runs a 4-6 on a good day. Terry McLaurin is a, a world-class burner. You just have He's to one identify. of the fastest receivers in the league. I mean, Yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> and the idea of the blitz is just saying that against a guy in Case Keenum whose numbers are just astronomically lower when he faces pressure is crazy to me. Jim Schwartz draws up the same three blitzes, Every single game, he just does not throw different looks at them. It's toss Nigel Bradham in the box. He has a 50-50 chance of either pulling back into coverage or blitzing. It's the most easily identifiable blitz in the NFL. He, he just is so stuck in his ways and won't change it that, to me, Lou, it, it, it just hasn't gotten better from last year so far. Like The same things we were talking about that we would hope he would improve on, playing the corners closer to the line, Throwing some blitzes in there, some change blitz looks, it, it, just, it just hasn't changed. It's the same old, same old. And, and cool. I and I get that
0: you're trying to stop the deep ball, but there's other ways to do it. You can use multiple safeties over top and have it both ways. Have the safeties cover the top for you while you allow your corners to be more aggressive and not just give, because they're always just allowing the offense. If the offense wants it, they can have the short game. And that's what bothered me too on the blitzes is like, yeah, you're trying to stop the, the deep ball on the blitz. But you are allowing them to take 10 yards of space here and get the ball off. So the blitz is not going to work in that case. you got to press them and buy them that extra half a second or second when they're pressing at the line, when they're jamming the receiver, that can help you hit home. So, yeah, I agree. He just has not adjusted. And it's really frustrating because I think he's a good coordinator. And I, this is a great defense. But it's just, you know, situationally, we've said it the past two days, just really frustrating and I was encouraged, too, today. I mean, he said ideally you can use different corners based on packages, but I don't believe that when he says that, that that's something he'll actually do when it comes to, like, Douglas versus bigger receivers and Jones versus and Maddox and Darby versus more athletic receivers. I don't think he's actually going to do that because he doesn't rotate corners. So what's the point of saying that? I just think all of this is one big ploy, Gino, when with the rotating corners. If don't they don't get it figured out, it. I'm don't telling you, man, it. he's don't, just waiting. Don't he's, say he's, it, Lou. Don't he's waiting for it. Mills. He's waiting for Mills. <laughs> he's waiting for J- – I'm telling you, I think he's don't waiting for Jalen Mills. Don't even put that energy into this team. He's going to – it's going to be cornerback by committee until Jalen Mills comes back. I'm telling you. It's just – it's It's my theory. It makes so, a lot of
1: sense. It's it James does, Jones.
0: unfortunately. Um, all right, so we got Darby. We got Jim Schwartz. Anybody else here that is trending downwards after week one?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to pinpoint half of this individual's game, and I'm going to say Nigel Bradham. In the run game, he looked very, very good. Yeah. In coverage, he looked atrocious. And Jordan Reed, fortunately, was out of this game. But, man, when we have to defend an athletic tight end like an Evan Ingram— or, I mean, even next week against Austin Hooper, Nigel Bradham better have a better game than he did last week because he just looked like a a chicken with his head cut off in in coverage. He just was caught flat-footed so many times out there. He just took too long to identify routes. It was just it was very ugly. It was like, is this the same guy who's defending in the run game who's defending in the pass game? It was just a very, very bad display. There were a ton of plays where he could have made plays and, kept him short and stopped him on third down where they just invited them to make the tackle. I mean, invited them to run into him because he was flat footed and just wasn't playing with this very like Nigel Bradham swarm to the ball attitude in the past game. It it was very strange to see that from him, but He better improve over what he did last week because that is not something that continued to trend in that manner because he's your guy. He's the guy that's going to be covering all the tight ends. He's going to get the running backs and key assignments. So he better improve his coverage or things could get ugly for teams that identify that rather quickly.
0: Yeah, you're right, because even when they go with three safeties and three corners, you know, say in 12 personnel or even 11, they he's going to have to. I mean, Jenkins and the other safety a lot of times can cover one of the tight ends and or the other one or a running back, mm-hmm. but there's that third other player between the tight ends and running backs that Bradham is going to have to cover. So I agree, and hopefully maybe some of it had to do with health. I mean, he is still recovering from that toe injury that I think he fractured it against the Saints in the divisional round, so he is still recovering from that. But at the same time, I don't really want to use that as an excuse because I thought he looked explosive against the run. So one final guy here stocked down for me on the offensive side of the ball, Gino is Corey Clement. And it's not really anything he did. It's just mm-hmm. he only saw the field on offense twice. Um, they Our suspicions of Darren Sproles were correct. Miles Sanders appears to be the lead back. And I think Jordan Howard's workload's going to increase in the next few weeks, which to me means even less potential for playing time for Corey Clement. So I think he's almost – Unless there's an injury, he's kind of now pretty much primarily a special teams player.
1: Yeah, it's it's unfortunate the way yeah, that Yeah, it stinks. I wanted to see
0: him. more. I mean, I, I was we encouraged. Did. We were ta- so. we were hyping up his explosiveness
1: yeah. in the in the preseason. He looked very quick and a very smart in his decision making and his one cut running ability. And he didn't even get a chance in the return game. I mean. <laughs> poor guy he like you said he's strictly a special teams player at this t- at this point in time but i want to see him get involved like get his explosiveness on the field over darren sproles like you can easily say darren sproles had a stock down game himself which i think we did enough bantering on him but throw a different look in there and Corey clement he is a change-up teams don't know what he is right now you, you got to get him yeah. involved in the game darren sproles you know you're either doing a draw an outside zone or screen. There's literally no other plays for Darren Sproles that he runs. So just get Corey Clement involved. It's another chess piece that you have at your disposal. Don't let Darren Sproles get as many touches as he did last game. I think that is like the one collective idea that we both agree on from this game.
0: I agree. Yeah. Get Howard and Clement more involved. Give Sanders a few more. T- I mean, again, it's such a deep offense, so you can't expect all these guys to have big games week after week. But for me, I think Sproles' touches the other three running backs got to dip into that and grab a little bit each and make Sproles more so a – 3A, 3B running back here with Clement. But Clement Stock is certainly down right now because the coaches clearly view him as the fourth running back. So um, hopefully he gets more opportunities in the return game next week. But yeah, right now he's primarily a special teams player. That's going to do it for today's edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast, Stock Up, Stock Down, the first edition here on Lockdown Eagles with Louis DiBiase and Gino Camilleri. Please subscribe to the show if you're not already so you can get four to five podcasts a week throughout the season and the off season into your phone on any podcast provider. Just tell Siri or Alexa to play lockdown Eagles. Check it out as well on LockdownEagles.com and, To grow the show, if you could, leave us a five-star rate and uh, hopefully a review. We love the listener feedback as well. And speaking of feedback, hit us up. The conversation always continues on Twitter, at LockedOnBirds, at DibiaseLOE, and at Gino underscore LOE. All right, there are all our shameless plugs for the day. We're out of here. For my co-host, Gino Camilleri, I'm Lou Dibiase signing off. As always, thank you for downloading, thank you for listening, and let's go, Birds.
1: Fly, Eagles, fly.